Hello everyone and welcome to Synesthesia, a podcast about the creatives who shape the aesthetics of music. We chat to the artists behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots and stylings of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Music has always been our passion and remains an integral part of our lives. That's why we decided to put together this podcast, which we called Synesthesia, because we perceive music not only with our ears, but also with our eyes. Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Hi everyone, and welcome to the very last episode of Synesthesia's first season. And by mentioning that it's the first season, I'm already committing to a second one. I am Enrico, and if this is the first time you are listening to the show, well, I've got to admit that I'm feeling quite emotional today. We launched in October 2020, conscious that it would have been quite tough to make it to the 10th episode landmark. But then, after eight months, we ended up recording 25 of them, and we are proud of it. Music will always need a face for its sound. It is always going to need something that makes that noise more tangible and live visually. This is an excerpt from an interview published in Creative Reviews April 2020 issue. I just read it out loud because these are our last guest's words. I'm feeling really honored and excited to be heading towards the finish line along with Raissa Pardini, a visual designer and art director based in Glasgow, who's been defined by the curatorial team at the Victoria Albert Museum, one of the most most notable visual interpreters of a particular music scene in Britain during an exciting time. In fact, the V&A just added to their permanent collection some of the original posters she designs for artists such as Squid, Idols, The Orioles, Snapped Ankles, Pond, Damo Suzuki, and so on. Raissa is here to talk about this lifetime achievement, her most recent music-related design gigs, as well as the music she likes, Italian crime movies and comedies from the 70s, and plenty of other stuff that has influenced her style and inspires her these days. Ciao Raissa, benvenuta! Hi, thanks for having me Enrico, this is a pleasure to be here. So I said benvenuta in Italian, means welcome, because I'm aware we come from the same country, don't we? Yes, we do, yes. Do we want to go back in time since the very beginning of your life, let's say, where you grew up? So yeah, I'm Italian, I'm from Tuscany, I'm from the coast, from a, a very very amazing place. Tuscany is um, it's full of history of art. Uh, there are a couple of cities like Florence, Pisa, Lucca where I started to uh, see art in real life uh, when I was younger and I feel like somehow this history of art that was surrounding me kind of set what, what it was to happen to my career and you know when I had to decide which school to go or which university to attend by then I developed a big passion in art and I was seeing myself probably as an artist one day. So definitely Tuscany gave me that sort of uh, history background. In between a Renaissance uh, art and graffiti as well, for instance, yeah. I know that there is a special place in your heart for Keith Haring's Tutomondo mural in Pisa. I remember I took the train to Pisa for a day trip and near the station there is a big big barring graffiti and I think that was the first time that I actually saw a piece of art that could be more similar to what I had in mind for myself the very graphical way of drawing the very graphical way of using colors there was something that I wasn't familiar to just yet I was young so yeah it came as a shock <laughs> so, 
it was almost like a reality check of what uh, contemporary art to modern art could be. And yeah, I saw myself probably being able to, to be inspired at least to something like that as well. What were uh, your interests at that time? So at the very early stage of uh, being a teenager, I was reading a lot, uh, writing a lot, actually. Uh, I wasn't doing much uh, drawing as much as when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was always drawing every single day. And then I started to be more curious about the world and I was reading quite a lot until I uh, had a conversation with my, with my dad. And I remember taking lessons uh, of piano from the church. I had a little bit enough of uh, playing piano and classical music. So my dad was the music figure of, uh, you know, my early days and we had a conversation. I was like, I know that you were playing something else. What instrument was it? I'm really interested to know. And uh, he shared his teenage years with me of uh, playing bass for a very local band, nothing that they never recorded anything or been anywhere with their music. But that was enough for me to discover a part of the words that I didn't know yet. I remember my dad buying a bass for Christmas, my first amp that I still have now in Glasgow and he's been with me all over the years. So I started playing bass. I started to listen to bands, being very curious, being asking my dad about a lot of different music that he was listening to. And I think since music happened in my life, again, it was another boom, another big you know, impact. Can you recall the first uh, band that you fell in love with? The first two records that my dad gave me were Transformer by Lou Reed and Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. I got really, really like attached to that sort of glammy New York, yeah, like Velvet Underground uh, rather than, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin. This is the kind of stuff uh, you were listening to as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I didn't feel extremely cool um, to do that because, you know, I'm coming from a very small town and it didn't feel so easy to find other friends that they were listening to that kind of music. Especially because in those years in Italy everyone was either into poster rap, Euro dance. <laughs> yeah and that kind of Italian rock which I you know I don't I don't dislike it it's just not my thing. So it was quite difficult uh, to to feel like I was doing a cool thing. <laughs> I felt quite lonely and the reason why then I moved to London is because I really wanted to see what was out there for me and I remember me and my mum looking into summer sort of courses to do in London and I remember going to London when I was uh, 14 the first time, 15 the second time. It was a shock. I, I remember just seeing people, you know, meeting people that were actually interested in the same thing I was interested to and, you know, I had a fake ID and I was going to trash and all of these um, bars that I would never ever even dream about going. There is no Mondo Disco in London though. <laughs> I, I know. have to bring this um, anecdote uh, up because it was one of the most interesting things uh, that I discovered uh, on your Instagram profile. You posted a picture of this neon sign of this record store in Italy called Mondo Disco, captioning yeah. it uh, where everything started. Yes. Do you have any so, cool memories about this uh, shop, this record store? This record shop was right on uh, 
coast. So like he had this massive shop front with this neon 70s disco sign. And I remember going often. They had everything that I needed to buy at that stage. You know, I, I still needed to discover a lot of uh, classic staples of the music history. So I wasn't into like digging the rarity, the rare record like I did maybe like a few years after. I, I was to collect the classic uh, album still. So that, that store was perfect for me. Then you moved to the UK where there is no lack of record stores. So when did you <laughs> officially make the big move? Yeah, after those uh, couple of experiences that I had in London, I came back to Italy and I attended a university course in Milan, uh, which was graphic design. But I didn't really want to stay in Italy. Um, as soon as I finished my course, uh, the first thing I wanted to do is uh, just get away from Italy for a bit. The first move was actually to Berlin just for a year, just before moving to UK. And, uh, then I moved to UK in 2012. Uh, I stayed in London for seven years and then now I'm in Glasgow since three years. Um, I assume that when you were studying at uni in Milan, you started developing a taste, a more refined taste in uh, visual arts and also researching more on uh, graphic designers, illustrators and visual artists in general. Can you mention your masters? So yeah, I think that Milan gave me the outlet of, you know, a lot of galleries, a lot of places to go. It was definitely a much bigger city than where, where, I, where I'm coming from. So I felt for the first time in a very cosmopolitan place, even if I was still in Italy. So I remember just going to exhibitions and, uh, you know, openings, <laughs> like a very Milanese thing to do. The first time that I actually got into typography is when I went to an exhibition by Luca Barcellona. I know him, very famous yeah. for his handwriting, calligraphy. It happened again that I saw something that I didn't know it was existing, you know. Um, I knew that you could study lettering and I know that you could uh, study typography. But I didn't know that like there was a community of young designers that were actually uh, experimenting with typography as much as Luca Barcellona and I think uh, his background in uh, graffiti and the street art was really really present in his work. That was something I wasn't interested in because I'm not coming from the street art uh, side of thing but uh, it was just fascinating to see that a freelancer that does typography can work with so many different projects you know uh, to, with, with musicians with, with film uh, typography with uh, fashion he set a really great example for me to see and uh, to show me how powerful typography could be what happened next I started to experiment with typography as well then I moved to Berlin things got out of my way a little bit I was working as an intern for a studio and I didn't really feel creative and then I moved to London I got more into music I mean I don't know if this came up in the latest shows and episodes with other people but for me combining music and visual was very difficult at first I felt like I didn't really understand how to mix them in the proper way. I always felt like I needed to choose between one or the other. So I started to be in a couple of bands in London and I started to work for a record shop. It felt that at one point my life was set around music more and I didn't know how to incorporate 
separate the graphical side of it until I actually went freelancer. So it was quite difficult at first, I remember. Can you recall the first music-related brief you worked on? So in Milan, I would do flyers for like uh, different clubs. And I had uh, a few friends that they were DJs and uh, they always made like a little flyer here and there. But I think that the very first music project was for my radio show. <laughs> so I had a radio show in Italy for like a university channel and we wanted to make a fanzine out of um, the episodes and the fanzine was like a monthly little zine that we were putting together and we were printing. It was almost like a promotional side of the radio um, a show that we had but also me trying to experiment with design for the first time. Do you still hold a copy of this zine? Yes. <laughs> okay, good, because I'm going to ask you to share it with us and we will put it in your mood board when we publish the episode. Yeah, I yeah, I still have them. We are looking for these uh, gems at Synesthesia from the very first uh, serious music-related brief to, let's say, the last one or the yeah. most important one so far. Let's talk about the music posters that were just acquired by the VNA, featuring bands like uh, Snap Tankles, Squid, the black and pink one is my favorite, Idols, The Orioles, Pond, and uh, also awesome tapes from Africa. That was such a surprise, right? Because I've been working on this poster obviously so I went freelancer when I moved to Glasgow and the fact that I was already involved with music was for me uh, a good thing because I used those contacts uh, to get to, to gain more work basically so because I knew labels and I knew bands I let them know that I I went freelancer and I was interested to design anything that they needed I was looking to put myself out there and just work as much as possible I started doing a lot of different posters for a couple of uh, nights in London, a couple of nights around UK. So those were regular jobs that they were coming every time that they needed a poster. And then it happened that maybe some of the bands um, saw the poster and they liked it. They would ask me directly to design their poster next time. So it was just like a word of mouth of me just keep working on things and like gaining more contact. So, you know, you just go along with it and you wouldn't think that maybe someone will see a pattern of visual references. Can I list the references I have spotted in your posters and then yeah, yeah. For sure, you love uh, Italian crime movies and comedies from the 70s. Then uh, you might like uh, people such as uh, Renato Casaro, the designer behind Sergio Leone's most iconic uh, movie posters. And then I see a passion for, generally speaking, the 60s, late 60s and 70s, American neon art, bespoke signage lettering of mom and pop shops. It's so difficult to understand what was going on behind each piece because, you know, I never wanted to intentionally look retro or like intentionally look at these artists at these references but I think because I'm very interested in history what I started to do is literally working with every font that I didn't know <laughs> I was like you know I bought a lot of uh, font books from 
a lot of different decades, you know, from the 20s to the 90s. And uh, going from a very, very linear tool fund from the 20s, going towards the 90s, I guess the 60s and the 70s were those two decades that um, really stood out for references and for like new happenings in, uh, in visual. I've got the feeling that we will never get rid of the 60s and the 70s just because they had this strong drive of visual. It's quite difficult not to be influenced by those two decades. You know, whenever the 80s are a little bit more obvious and there's not much going on as much as the 60s and the 70s and in the 90s, obviously, we start to recreate a retro feel again. So it's almost like taking the 70s into like a new dimension. Yeah, it feels like the, those two decades were really, really strong in terms of new modern visual graphic design. I think I was appealed to the workload that the 70s left us uh, rather than the retro side of it. You know, there's at least 20, 30 times more fonts in the 70s than any other decade. So of course, we're always going to end up using something from that decade. It was almost spontaneous. You know, if you love typography, you will love how crazy things were during that time. So yeah, it isn't a love for the retro. It's more like a love for how much they produce during those years and um, how crazy things looked. How did you work to match these bands' sound uh, with your visuals? So I'm always trying to listen to anything that they have, mostly if we have to work on an album cover. It's important that the band, the artist, is really, really happy with the result because, you know, it's their record. It's, um, it's their baby. <laughs> it's almost scary for me to, you know, it's as, uh, I'm so grateful to be asked to do such work, but then it's almost scary in the sense of, you know, I want to meet the standards that they put into the recording work. I don't take it for granted. I really, really try to work as hard as possible to make them happy as much as uh, make myself happy about the design. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of checking on each other, me testing a lot of things, always showing them what was been happening, always making sure that I'm going towards the right direction. Yeah, always make sure that we are into the same kind of inspiration and I understood the brief. I understood what sort of thing they want to communicate with their music. So these posters were acquired by the VNA because mm-hmm. uh, they say that you are one of the most notable visual interpreters of a particular music scene in Britain during an exciting time. What's the music scene they are talking about? Is it the post-punk renaissance? It's really interesting because your main visual point of reference seems to be the 70s and it will make perfect sense. Again, it kind of difficult to refer to something that happened quite recent. I feel like, you know, after 10 years, when journalists usually coin a, a name for a movement and then they put all of this band and all these artists under a bracket of that movement. But whenever things has just been happening, it's difficult to realize that actually there is a scene there. Um, you know, that's the reason why I was a bit shocked and surprised when the VNA asked me to acquire these posters because you don't realize what you do until 
someone tell you? I guess, yeah, starting from Squid, there's definitely like a UK sort of more experimental sound right now that is um, rooted into this new band's sound. I feel that bands definitely want to experiment more with a lot of different kind of music right now. We live in a post-genre age. Yeah, so you can find a little bit of everything, but also the fact that a musician seem to be more knowledgeable about how to produce a record or how to record something because it's easier to to just have a setup at home and uh, record anything you want. The musicians is more directly involved. So everything is becoming very personal, like a mix of a lot of different genres that we are exposed to every day. So I think uh, that probably happens with my design as well. Like, you know, if I see a font from the 20s and I like it, I put it into like a contemporary context, uh, maybe pairing it with a color combination that is more in the 60s so it's kind of there is a little bit of everything it's almost paying an homage to the history by trying to do something new so yeah, I think it makes per- perfect sense I have one tough question for you if you had to pick one of these posters which one would it be I feel like the snap chunkle is my favorite one because it's just the nature of how optical it became just by the repetition of the words structured behind it is quite simple but I love the font that I use I think it was Davida yeah just by using something that is only black and white and it's repeated in an optical way we just have this sort of uh, trippy acidy look but it's also very post-punk and like rough I think that that's the latest retro inspired as well which is something that I'm trying to do at the moment I get labeled quite a lot to be an artist that work with history which is great because again I love history and I will never stop looking back to try to move forward. Can we define your posters as an artwork that includes decades of history of typography? Yeah, yeah, let's say that. And layered, layered, like the city of Rome. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, you know, again, there isn't a taste that comes out of my personal choice that I prefer rather than another. Let's just say that I'm in love with typography and every time I see a font that really appealed to me, I I just want to work with it. I'm just so excited. I'm like a kid. Let's talk about uh, a font, a typeface I loved. The one on the cover of Dioriel's La Vitolistica. Yeah, I think that there was a zipper, but I'm, I'm not too sure about that history, but we kind of made it a little bit more bespoke for the band because we wanted something that was very easy to read and very big uh, but then at the same time we wanted to introduce a couple of personal touches to the letters just to make them more Oriel just to let them become an iconic part of their work with the Oriels a, a lot of um, push was made by the colors that we picked as well I feel that that orange and green from the first album be came something that people have been using to refer to the album and then once we did La Vita Holistica which has a yellow and purple combination we tried to have another combination of color that could 
be really iconic for the album. They are very inspired by soundtracks and uh, you know 70s horror film posters and all of this um, imagery. There is a cinematic look to it, right? With the outstanding results. Oh, Last but you. not least, tell us about your music is friendship merchandising. After I've been working a lot with different uh, artist merchandising, last year I came up with a couple of my own merch and uh, the first one was Greens is your friend, Greens are your friend t-shirt and talked and then moving into music is friendship. So what I wanted to do was having a very positive message uh, for the community, something that can bring us all together. I just made the design and then I started making some teas and I did some totes and uh, I guess I, I will need to print them back because um, I'm running low but um, I'm quite proud of that project because uh, it really has everything that I care about you know to me it looks like the brand identity for a dream record store yeah exactly it's like most of the people that I have close to me they're all coming from a music community and the reason why we met was was music and so you know there's a big part of my life and uh, with music is friendship uh, I just wanted to kind of put that on the spotlight put out how important music is for most of us and how it can bring people all together you know? and uh, how important is design in music <laughs> oh very important uh, mostly now having to deal with digital platforms every day sometimes the first thing that we see is a record sleeve before listening to anything you know you know the design can be an element that draw you to buy a record or at least let you understand that maybe that record could be your taste that's why it's really important to run through references from music that we are all inspired from because then if we put all those influences in the new record cover then people will know what they're looking for you know sometimes when i started to work in a record shop i really understood the importance of a cover and sometimes I will find myself picking a record because it looked good. Probably I didn't know that title. And then you start looking at the ear and then the record label and other elements and then you end up buying the record, you know? Can we say that the way of saying don't judge a book by its cover doesn't work with the records? Yeah, it's actually a good thing. If we put lots of effort into the music, you know, I think that we should treat the cover with the same amount of time with the same amount of passion just to make the perfect product if it makes sense it would be a shame to work so hard on some recording and have a, a very crap record cover i think i agree with you <laughs> i agree <laughs> yeah and i mean i know that, that that this rule doesn't apply to everything you know you, you can walk into a restaurant that look really bad from the outside and have the best food in the world i am aware that this rule doesn't apply for everything but with design well we say at synesthesia that improves and enhances the music experience totally yeah it's an experience you know you use your ears for, for sound you use your eyes to see these beautiful things that all these artists there's so many talented artists in the world right now and it feels that every time that I'm opening my Instagram I just see more and more of them and it's amazing it's, it's just amazing giving these artists the chance to work together with other musicians I think is, is an insane amazing experience um, Raiz reading my mind introducing <laughs> this topic because for the first poem of our show Word on the street. 
I would like you to tell me two things. If there is any artist you would like to work with and some fresh contemporary emerging visual artists or designers whose work has inspired you recently. One of the most influential artists uh, of, uh, that we have right now in music and you definitely know him is Braulio Mado, which is uh, an artist from Lisbon that works in New York and he definitely inspired me in many ways. He was one of the first artists that I saw working with music and working with typography, working with illustrations and through his work I saw that what I had in mind for myself was possible, you know. There are so many artists right now in the internet that do things that I can't do and uh, that's why I'd like to collaborate with them. You know, I don't own high skills on um, printing, experimental coloring uh, artworks and I've, I've been seeing all of these amazing artists working with colors through riso print sheets and like screen printing and it's just fascinating that's why it's really important to collaborate as much as possible with other people to understand you know how much our skills can be present and how much other people's skills should be mixed with yours how about musicians you would like to work with I just did some work for we transfer that it was uh, to illustrate the Willie Nelson uh, manifesto. Definitely Willie Nelson is one of the biggest artists I could ever dream to work with and that was definitely one of those lifetime achievements. I would have loved to work with Lou Reed and David Bowie as you know I mentioned that they were my first couple of records but obviously they're not here with us so unless the labels are asking me to continue their legacy by the way well, it would be it would be really cool to work on a re-edition type of yeah. the collection yeah totally and you know this might sound uh, weird but I am more interested to work with up-and-coming up artists and people that are already famous because I feel like every time that a new artist is approaching me, it's always a surprise. I learn about music because of my job. Being surrounded by all of these DIY artists, all of these independent artists that are also not signed and maybe they are gonna put their first single out or their first record out, I think it's so exciting. Because of my work, I get to listen to all of these artists. Like, for example, when we worked with Squid, there was just one or two songs out. And then it, it was just amazing to see how much they took it, how far they went from when we first started to collaborate together. They just released their new album, their debut album. We are going to talk about the cover in Synesthesia's second season. I oh, amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, talking to them as a new band, and knowing that now they are on warp and they're gonna have a big tour coming. It's just amazing. It's, that's what I mean when I say it's, it's always amazing to receive an email from an artist that is up and coming because you'll never know who you're gonna work with, you know? It's the excitement of the blind brief. Yes, but also, <laughs> you know, these artists are usually the ones that are more interested in you having the most freedom to create around their music. Yes, they are not yet trapped by an image. They need to develop their image yeah 
Yeah, and that's like the most exciting part, you know, develop maybe like a logo together that then it will be turning into like a record cover and then that will be a piece of merchandising. And then, yes, exactly. So it's more exciting to have that freedom sometimes. Once you get signed to a label, once you get signed to a management, there are a lot of other things that we need to keep in mind when we design. And yeah, that sometimes take uh, take uh, the creativity off a little bit. But, yeah, so they um, take less risks uh, for sure. Yeah, but you know, that doesn't mean that we can't produce something good as well. It's just uh, more fun when you got a free brief around an artwork, that's all. Yeah, it is. Raisa, I could spend hours talking to you about design and music, but we have our very last two minutes and we skip directly to flavors. You need to recommend us an Instagram page and a local spot slash venue in Glasgow, where you are based. So I've been thinking, uh, um, obviously in Glasgow, there's uh, such an iconic record shop called Monorail. And uh, there's also another record shop that is amazing called Mixed Up. Mixed up being more secondhand, lucky find, which sometimes is like really good fun to go through things. As soon as I step in a place like that, I can just stay for hours. Not just for the music, but sometimes I, I really take inspiration for my design from just looking at things. Definitely mixed up and monorailing Glasgow's record shop. Shout out to them, support your local record store always. Always. If I can recommend an Instagram page. So I've been really into um, an artist that I think is from France. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, but I'll, I'll try. So it's Benoit Boudin. Don't worry about the spelling because we will share this on our Instagram page. Just in okay. Yeah, he's a type designer. He teaches uh, type. Uh, his, his types are amazing. Uh, the way that he designs letters uh, out of this word, they're just amazing. I've been really into his page recently because I've been been trying to start and working on a font that I want to release probably before the end of the year. So I've been trying to find a lot of different inspirations from uh, amazing type designers around the internet and it's definitely the one that stood up the most. Well, Raisa, what a journey. I'm really <laughs> happy we reached the end of a Synesthesia together. Yes. Synesthesia <laughs> season one, once again. It's been uh, my privilege to have you as a guest. It's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Anzi. Grazie mille, ancora una volta. Grazie Enrico, this is great and um, I can't wait to, to hear the news about the second season and I, it was truly a pleasure to be the last um, of this amazing series of podcasts, so thank you. You just listened to Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast.